how many critics are out there? I think like 200. Oh my God. <laughs> this will be over by dinner. By lunch. Yes. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 19 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we'll answer a listener question from a television writer who's just starting out. Yes, she got rewritten by another writer, and she wants to know how upset she should be about it. And the answer is not at all. We'll explain why. And then we'll share why we think it's essential to always have a lot of irons in the fire. We'll also head to the outer office and check in with our assistant, Mary, who's been doing something interesting in her spare time. Then this week's Hollywood hack was inspired by a piece of art in Sarah's house. And finally, we'll reveal a restroom celebrity sighting, courtesy of our editor, Brad Katz. But first, Sarah, we have an update. Well, first of all, I should say you're sick. Yes. Um, so your voice is a little off. Yeah, I a apologize. Little, it's, a, yeah, it's a little, little huskier <laughs> than usual. Sexy. Let's call yes, it sexy. It's sexy. Okay. Um, and we wanted to tell everyone that we have finally set the date for our next Happier in Hollywood meetup. We've been hoping to have it in January, but a few things came up. So it is going to be Sunday, March 3rd at 5 o'clock, 5 to 7 p.m. at Idle Hour in North Hollywood, which is the same place we had it last time. We figured it was a great place. Let's keep it easy for everyone. Do it in the same spot. And um, while we're there, we're going to bring a jar and have everyone write down on a piece of paper their word of the year and put it in the jar and, I don't know, do some sort of ritual, which we haven't figured out yet. (laughs) Um, But we love the idea of sort of taking a moment to write down our words, put them in the jar in this, like, community of words inside the jar and um, just spread some good mojo. I love that. It was your idea, and I'm just like, I can't wait. I can't wait to put Explode in the jar, Liz. Yes. Woohoo! And then we have one more huge announcement. I'm very excited about this. Yes, we have, drumroll please, a new logo! Yay! It's really cool. It, um, it's... It looks sort of like a spotlight, like an abstract spotlight. And then the name of the podcast is In the Spotlight. We love it so much. And we're going to debut it on our uh, Facebook group and also on our website, happierinhollywood.com. And on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. Google Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. And everywhere you find our podcast, you will see this logo. Starting today, right? So thank you to everyone at Cadence 13 because they came up with this new logo um, and we are crazy about it and we can't wait for everybody to see it. Woohoo! And we can't wait to start putting it on mugs and things. Exactly. I like to have my logo on things. Tote bags, that's my thing. Yes. Okay, Sarah, let's dive into our mailroom segment um, where we answer questions about the business. Um, And this was one that really resonated with us and will resonate with any TV writer out there. Indeed. I'm sure. 
Um, okay, it comes from, we'll keep the person anonymous. She or he says, I am an early career TV writer who was recently given my first script to write after being a writer's assistant for many years. Yesterday, I found out the network asked for the script I submitted to be rewritten by another writer. I have heard this happens a lot, but as it was my first script, it's extremely painful. Has this ever happened to you? And did you find it made it harder to get hired again straight afterwards? Okay. Yes, it's happened to us. Of course. It's happened to every single TV writer who's ever done anything in the history of television. Yes, yes. I'm sure even Joss Whedon was probably rewritten, like, at the beginning when he was on Roseanne. Absolutely. When Sean Ryan was on Nash Nash Bridges, Bridges, you bet he was rewritten. No doubt. Um, It really is so common. And, I mean— it is unusual that the network asked. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's their impression that the network asked. Usually right. it's a showrunner thing. The right. showrunner decides who does the rewriting. Now, it may be that the showrunner really <laughs> likes this person and felt bad and didn't yeah. want to say that he or she wanted it to be rewritten. And so they said the network was asking for it. Uh, honestly, that's my guess. That seems like my guess. Because I've yeah. never heard of a network sort of calling and saying, hey, have John Smith rewrite that script. Right. But it could have happened. Either way, it's part of the process. When you're just starting out, usually your scripts do need a lot of rewriting. I mean, I had no idea how to write it. I mean, I you saved us because if it had just been me, I don't know what would have happened. You were way better at it faster than I was. Um, but it's just like that's part of being a staff writer and you're not even a staff writer. This was your first freelance is that you get rewritten. I mean, that's just the process. And you might like if we were on staff, Jenna uh, Bands, who we yeah. love, um, who created the family and now has good girls on NBC and who's amazing. She rewrote everybody, including us, yeah. all the time because she had a vision for the show and she didn't know until she saw a script sort of where she wanted to take that episode. Yeah. And as showrunners, we rewrote everybody on our staff, yeah. no matter what their level. Sometimes it was a bigger rewrite. Sometimes yeah. it was a very Sometimes small it was one. very minor. And it honestly means nothing it has it 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 doesn't mean anything about how like we view anyone on our staff because we had an amazing staff yeah. honestly most of the time it's just about time like we would yes. much prefer yes. just con- to, to continue notes. giving notes yeah. and let people kind of get there on their own that's yeah. a much better way to do it but it's the production train keeps on rolling so yeah When we do that, it's largely about just time constraints. And here's what I'll say. The one way it can hurt your career is if you have a bad attitude about it. If you stomp around, if you pout, if you go to people and complain, if you seem hurt, um, if you're passive aggressive, that is a way to, like, totally kill your career. If you have a good attitude, you're happy you had the opportunity, you continue to be invested and interested in the episode and read all the drafts that come out and make yourself available if you're wanted on set, um, which you very well may not be, but if you are or ask if you can go to set, um, then it it won't hurt you. Um, So it's just don't take it personally, which is so hard. Right. It's very easy for us to say don't be upset about getting rewritten on your first script. 
I'm sure we were. We certainly early in our career oh, were, we were massively upset. rewritten. Uh, yeah, on our first one. Oh, we were massively rewritten, and we were upset about it. Oh, oh, were we upset? Yes, <laughs> you know. I mean, I was going to say I can guarantee. Yes, we were <laughs> upset, and we were rewritten. Yeah, yeah. but just no. You know, from our position now, 19 years later, yes. it's just so normal. Yes. It happens to everyone. It doesn't mean anything about your future. Yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. And Sarah, I would love to hear from um, listeners who aren't writers to hear if there are similar things that happen in their careers and how do they handle it. Yeah. Like, it, it, it is tough to, like, have your work overhauled by someone else. <laughs> but, you know, persevere. That's right. Someday you'll be doing the rewriting. Yeah. Okay, Sarah, it is time for From the Treadmill Desk Of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's having a lot of irons in the fire. And this came up because you and I were discussing how we like having a lot of irons in the fire. We feel as TV writers, we need to have a lot of irons in the fire because we never know what is going to culminate in something successful. Right, exactly. And you were saying that Gretchen has a metaphor that she uses. Yeah, she always says it's like having a crush on two boys. Like she had a friend who, when she was in college, told her, always have a crush on two guys because then you don't get too upset about either one or too um, invested in either one panning uh-huh. out. You can always, if something's not going well with one, you can always turn to the other. And I think it's very similar to that because it's like, well, if this TV show idea isn't going anywhere or gets rejected or whatever, we can turn to this other one that we have. Right. And it's just you never know what's going to happen. We could get a call from the network or hear that a certain network really wants a particular kind of medical show. And we'll be like, yes, we have that. Yes. Or a legal show. Yes, we have that. Oh, you need a president show? Yes, we have a great yes. idea for that. Um, so just being prepared for that. And I also think it helps us keep our creative juices flowing. Yes. Like when we have a time right now when we're not solely focused on the fix, like just keeping our brains going and thinking in creative directions, it's always good. And even when we're doing the fix, I would notice sometimes we would have creative ideas about other show ideas because it kind of relieved the pressure. It was like a little mental break from the fix to be like, hey, what if we did a show about this? And then, of course, I mean, having the podcast is another iron in the fire. Absolutely. Um, it's a very different kind of iron. But, again, it allows us, when we're feeling really anxious, for instance, about March 18th, the premiere of The Fix, and how's it going to do and what's going to happen. We at can 10 p.m. At 10 p.m., ABC, Monday, 10 p.m., March 18th. Um, we can say to each other, well, like, let's talk about the podcast. You right. know what I mean? We can. It helps us. It does. It's a pressure reliever. And I also think, like, the cream rises to the top. Mm. If you have a lot of things that you're sort of vaguely interested in and then, like, you notice there's one that you keep going Mm -hmm. back to, one that kind of sparks the most, to steal from Marie Kondo, joy, Mm -hmm. um, the most kind of creative inspiration, then you start to go, oh, okay, this is the one that has something special. Yeah. And the other thing is, and it kind of goes with our advice to people of take the meeting, always take the meeting, because, like, say we meet with a producer on a project, like, it could take a year for something to to manifest there. So it's like keep things going because you don't know which one is going to actually 
come through. In Hollywood, it is a very bad idea to have all your eggs in one basket, just on a practical level. Forget the creative, forget all other things, just on a practical level, you never know what's going to actually happen. So you need to have multiple irons in the fire. Now, Liz, do you think there's a danger in having lots of irons in the fire leading to a lack of focus? I do think that's a danger. And I do think that's something you and I do struggle with. I think having a partner helps because we can force each other. Like, here's the problem. You and I do really well with deadlines. Yeah. So whatever iron has the most pressing deadline and we need, like, hopefully something does have an actual deadline, that helps us. But if nothing has a deadline, you and I can get very, like, pulled in many directions and, like, have a hard time focusing in on actually accomplishing something. Yeah. And I would imagine that if you're, like, a only person writer, like a single writer, (laughs) like, I don't know how to... (laughs) A non-team. A non-team writer. That would, in some ways, be even harder. Because I think we... We also help each other focus, like yeah. when that thing rises, when yes. the, when that cream thing rises yes. to the top. We do help each other focus on that. Oh, yeah. But it's just something to be aware of. Like, yeah. are you, or is your attention getting too diffuse? Yeah. But I would say, think about how, you don't want to have 15 irons. No, that's too many. Yeah. You know, I'd say under five, probably. Three to five. Yeah. Three to five good ones. Three to five good ones. And then drop things that you decided aren't going to go anywhere. That's the other thing is we drop ideas or drop projects. God, yes. Now, I will say sometimes we drop them for a couple of years and then they come back. Yes. that can happen too. Or we drop them because, oh, that exact idea is now a TV show. That happens. (laughs) All Ozark, for instance. Yeah. We had an idea that was exactly like Ozark. And then (sighs) there it was on Netflix. So drop that one. Um, Anyway, irons in the fire, good on so many levels. And again, this isn't just a TV writer thing. I think for anybody, it's helpful to have a lot of irons in the fire. Coming up, we will check in with our assistant, Mary, who, speaking of irons in the fire, Mary always has a lot of irons in the fire, and uh, she's going to tell us about uh, one of them especially. But first, an ad break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And now for our segment from the outer office in which we check in with our assistant, Mary. So, Mary, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Now, we were just talking about having lots of irons in the fire and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And you have a lot of irons in the fire. Go through them. (laughs) And then we want to talk about one in particular. Yeah, I I was thinking about this, obviously, before we... uh, 
you know, started recording today. Um, so, yeah, I'm rewriting a pilot, writing the feature version of my AFI thesis film. I'm writing a book. I just signed the contract this week with the publisher. Ooh-hoo. Tell everyone the title because I think <laughs> um, it's right different. now it's just manifest it, bitch. <laughs> so it's like a hum- title. Yeah, it's a humorous spiritual book. And then, lastly, I've been performing stand up at the comedy store for this show called Comedy Madness that they do every so often. And you've been told there may be some streaming opportunities yeah. with the show. Yeah. So I've been told through the producer that they might be recording and using it for um, streaming purposes on, you know, one of the streaming platforms. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, we've had really great guests because, like, last time we had Todd Berry, who has a Netflix special. I think it's called Spicy Honey or something like that. And then we had Bill Burr on one time. Uh, Harlan Williams. So we've had like really big comedians at this show. So it's kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> okay. Well, first I want to ask you about the stand up. Um, and then I want to get back to the irons in the fire. Okay. Okay. To me, doing stand up has to be the scariest thing on the planet. Like we had an ongoing discussion of if someone gave you $100,000, would you do 10 minutes at the comedy store? And I was like, no way would I do that. <laughs> I would, for and the record. you said you would. Yeah. And obviously Mary's doing it for much less than $100,000. <laughs> I want to hear about your—you did stand up in college. Yeah. So you've done it before. Uh-huh. But I want to hear just about the process and how—is it terrifying? Um, what's it like? Because I think it's a— fascinating thing, especially for someone who's just starting out. Yeah. Well, first off, I really got into it because I would just look at things differently. I think a lot of people look at things like what is, you know, they'll Mm. look at the world like what is. But stand-up comedians, their mindset is more like why, you Mm. know, it's like really digging deep into small things like going to the grocery store and seeing some wacky person and like, why is that person wacky? Why is that person like that? It's like uh, um, someone told me it's like that Chris Rock joke um, where he's like, you know, that look that woman gives you and she looks like she wants to kill you. It's because you weren't her first choice. Mm. So it's kind of like he's looking at why does Mm -hmm. that woman give you that look? Uh, That's funny. And yeah, that's really how I got into it. And I did it in college, performed And really, this is the thing. You really have to commit. When you write these jokes and you memorize them, you have to commit to them because you can tell when someone doesn't commit to saying them out loud. Mm. And the worst thing that can happen is they don't laugh. And you know what? Like, you had a good time. They didn't have a good time. So there you go. Like, (laughs) It's been amazing to me that you say you had a good time because to me, that sounds like the worst time (laughs) I could possibly imagine is like bombing. Like 80 people looking at you and not laughing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it sounds horrible. But you just go out there. You're not. Are you nervous? Like, does your do your hands shake? Does your does your voice shake? Yeah, I get super nervous. Um, But what helps is I'll be waiting in the green room with other comedians, and you can tell all the other comedians are nervous, too. Mm -hmm. And you just chat with them, you know, and that helps calm everything down, um, you know, talk about what they do and their experience. And then then that just kind of calms you down because you realize that everyone's nervous. And the audience is nervous, too, because— Unlike improv, you're up there by yourself, so the audience wants you to be funny. Right. They They want you to succeed. Yeah, they don't want to cringe. No one Uh wants to be in the audience cringing. I've definitely had that experience being in the audience, and I feel bad. I don't want, you know, so fingers crossed, knock on wood, I've never had, like, a total 
like no one laughed situation. Okay. So <laughs> good. Well, hope you won't ever have that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just want to say I really admire you putting yourself out there. I think that's uh, just one of the hardest things I could imagine doing. I mean, I'd rather like jump out of a plane, you know, like skydive. I, yeah. I just. I think memorizing is actually the hardest part for me. Oh, interesting. Because you have to memorize the jokes, but not in a way that sounds rehearsed. Right. right. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So many skills being developed. You know, we had another question about it, which mm-hmm. is because we're talking about irons in the fire and how it's good to have a lot of irons in the fire. Sometimes with you, we wondered, you have so many irons in the fire that there could there be a lack of focus? Or do you feel like all of your irons are leading to one thing? Yeah, I do think they're all leading to one thing. And I have to mention the feature version of my thesis film I'm writing with someone else. Mm. So that kind of helps because he also wants to produce it independently. Mm, so so good. there is like, okay, we want to find financing. We want to like, and I'm like, okay. I'll let you do that part, but we're also writing it together. Um, So that helps. But yeah, I think honestly, my ultimate goal, because I've been thinking about this, is to eventually have my own sitcom. And I know that's a long road and I know it's a difficult road. But I think through stand-up, you know, maybe another writer or producer agent loves the jokes and helps me get into a comedy room. And I've also heard that comedy rooms are notoriously difficult, Um, you know, like people talking over each other, Mm -hmm. a lot of other stand-up comedians in the room. So doing it, you know, makes me feel more confident and help with my social anxiety because I do have social anxiety, even though I don't seem like it. (laughs) Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, because I think it is really hard to be in a comedy room, much harder to be in it than a drama room because there's a performance element. Like whoever's joke lands the best in the room will be the joke that ends up in the script, at least for now. Seems like they always change, like, when they're filming. So that performance element could really help you. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is performing stand-up, it's an immediate response. They either like it or they don't. And um, you don't get that from other things. Like, I could be at home writing these jokes all by myself, but Mm -hmm. I don't have... I mean, I just have my boyfriend and he has a different sense of humor than the rest of the world, you know. So it's just that immediate response that helps you figure out, oh, that's what it is, you know. Wow. So I just want to point out that Mary's doing all these things while having a low-paying full-time job. (laughs) So um, if she can do it, you guys can do it. Absolutely. (laughs) And we should point out that many, many comedy writers start out in stand-up. People like Larry David, Jen Kirkman, John Mulaney, Ali Wong, Bo Burnham, Jordan Peele. Yeah. And now Jordan's writing horror movies. A little different, but. (laughs) Yeah. You would love to have any one of those careers. Oh, yeah. Especially Larry David because, I mean, my cat's name is Larry David. Yes. Obviously. There's a little bit of an obsession, not going to (laughs) lie. And Mary, um, people can actually, if they're in L.A., go see your stand-up. When is your next gig? Uh, It's a Monday night, February 11th at 8 p.m. in the Belly Room. Um, at yeah, the comedy store. At the comedy store. And where can people follow you to get more of your upcoming dates? Yeah, uh, I always post them on my Instagram at Mary Merkdog, M E R K D O G. At Mary Merkdog. Yeah. All yeah. right. Go see Mary, everybody. She needs your support. Yeah. Laugh hard. <laughs> and yes, and for God's sake, laugh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next up, we have an artsy Hollywood hack, but first, a word from our sponsor. 
And now, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood hack. And this comes from you. It's commission a piece of art. You did this. I did. Um, A couple years ago, when I sort of started getting serious about my health, more than a couple now, my doctor said to me, how motivated are you? And that just sort of crystallized a lot of things for me. And I felt like, okay, I need that. How motivated are you? Somewhere where I can always see it. And we happen to know an artist named Amy Smith who does these really cool kind of collage pieces of art with words on them. She does a lot of other amazing stuff too. But I thought, okay, I should call Amy and say, can you make something for me with how motivated are you on it? And I knew I wanted it to be like a big piece of art on my bathroom wall that I would see in the mirror. So I asked her to put how motivated are you backwards I love that. on the art so it looks right in the mirror since that's how I see it most of the time. And I love it. I see it obviously every day, many times a day. And it really keeps me focused and inspired. And it's also, I just think it's a really cool piece of art. And now art is just so accessible. Like you can actually have something commissioned and not spend $40,000. You can go to Etsy and do this. Yeah. And Amy did such an amazing job. We'll have the picture on our website so people can actually see yours. How motivated are you? And everybody, we will link to Amy Smith's website so you can see her work. And Sarah, um, I've noticed on Etsy that you can also have a needlepoint pillow commissioned with something on it. So maybe that's what I should do. There you go. Explode on a needlepoint pillow. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's celebrity sighting. And I have to say, this isn't someone that either of us actually saw, but it was such a big A-list sighting that um, we had to bring it up. And I was actually there. I just didn't see the person, but I was in the vicinity. So... A few weeks ago, we did a recording session, or I should say our composer, Greg Trippy, did a recording session at Jim Henson Studios to do music for the finale of season one of The Fix, which was amazing. And it's the same studio where uh, We Are the World was recorded, isn't it? Yes, the exact room where they did We Are the World is where we were recording. So that was super cool. Anyway, there are, of course, other studios there. It's not just one. It's like a whole building with various recording studios. And Brad Katz, our editor, went to the bathroom, and when he was washing his hands, he looked over, and there was John Mayer. John Mayer was in the building recording at the exact same time that we were recording. And John Mayer, I think, said hello, you know as one does. (laughs) Um, Not that we have a lot of experience in men's bathrooms. And then I must say, I was sort of skulking around the hallways, hoping that John Mayer would (laughs) like emerge from his studio and I would see him. Um, But he did not emerge, at least not when I was um, walking around. But, um, you know, it was still very exciting. You were like two ships passing in the recording studio night. We were. It was very exciting. So, I mean, you know, John Mayer, like, that's as Hollywood as it gets. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And please, for the love of God, subscribe if you haven't already. 
thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. And thank you to everyone at Cadence 13. Thank you to our assistant, Mary Merkins, for letting us deconstruct her career ambitions. You can follow Mary on Instagram at Mary Merkdog. And do go see her perform stand-up if you're in Los Angeles. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. And to see our new logo. Yes. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer. Producer? I'm Sarah... (laughs) Producer. (laughs) I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 19 years, Liz. You want to take that last (laughs) sentence again? Now I have the giggles. (laughs) From the Onward Project.